The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have a special guest with me, Dr. Michelle Nabish-Rahalig. She is an NS-trained insomnia specialist and cognitive neuroscientist. Dr. Michelle helps individuals who are suffering with insomnia using the evidence-based approach cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, also called CBTI. This is the gold standard treatment for insomnia, which uses a range of strategies to improve sleep quality. And this is very different than your generic sleep hygiene tips that you've likely heard from your doctor or other resources. Michelle's goal when working with her clients is to help them get refreshing sleep naturally without having to rely on sleep medication. In today's episode, we talk about various sleep disorders, as well as her best tips for insomnia and all about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Oh, and just a quick note before we dive in, I have a free five-day MS strength challenge available for you guys, where you're going to learn the five best strategies to improve your strength when you have MS. And the reason that I wanted to mention this right now is because I've had a few participants recently who messaged me after going through the full five-day strength challenge. And they said that they noticed they were getting better sleep because exercise is one strategy when done correctly to improve your sleep. So I just wanted to remind you guys that is available for you. I will put the link in the show notes and you can access it there. Okay, now let's dive in. Dr. Michelle, thank you so much for being here with us today. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Holy. Really appreciate it. Yes, I'm so excited to ask you my questions because poor sleep is something that so many people with multiple sclerosis suffer from. And honestly, I would say 100% of my clients mention poor sleep. And when you have poor sleep, it can lead to worsened symptoms too. So I have lots of questions for you, but before we do that, is it okay if I ask you a question from my interview deck? Oh yes, go ahead. (laughs) A bit scared, but go ahead. (laughs) Your question is, what was one thing you begged your parents for as a kid and they finally gave it to you? Oh, that's actually an easy question. <laughs> I, uh, I always wanted a dog when I was very small. And then finally, at the age of 16, so like almost 16 years later, I finally got him for my 16th birthday. And uh, he's a very fluffy and a little bit overweight puppy. He weighs about a year old at that point. And I had him for 16 years after that. He was a Cavalier King Charles. So yeah, that, that was it. It was a, yeah, a nice memory to think back on. His name is Ralph. 
Oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> my parents also gave me a dog. I can't remember how old I was, maybe 12. So not quite as okay. old as 16, but oh my gosh, <laughs> it was the best. I was, I asked for a dog for Christmas and my dad came in a few days before Christmas, came home from work with something under his jacket and he unzipped it with this <laughs> tiny little puppy. I think oh. I burst into tears. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> They're gorgeous. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> Can you share with us what some of the different types of sleep disorders and sleep disturbances are? Sure. Yes. So yes, there's many different types of sleep disorders. And I have to say the most common one of them all would be chronic insomnia. And the general population, I think the incidence of chronic insomnia is currently around about 40%, at least particularly since the pandemic. Before the pandemic, it was actually 10%, but it's since gone up to uh, approximately 40%, at least in some data I saw recently. And from what I've seen in the MS literature and sleep, it seems that the incidence is actually relatively similar. It's about 40% of those with MS seem to have chronic insomnia. So I think that seems to be probably the most predominant one. But there are definitely other sleep disorders as well. One of the other common ones would be obstructive sleep apnea. And I believe that's relatively common in MS patients. And then there's the likes of restless leg syndrome and periodic limb movement disorder and a number of kind of parasomnias and OREM behavioral disorder and things like that. But yeah, the first few that I mentioned just there, especially insomnia, are definitely the most common ones, especially within those who are suffering with MS. Yes. And now that you say it too, restless leg syndrome, as you mentioned, is another one that a lot of my clients have as well. Is there a way to determine exactly what you have? Or do most people just say, oh, I feel like I have restless leg syndrome. So that's what I have. Or is there a way to evaluate that? Do you mean all of these different disorders or restless legs in particular? All of them, you know, if they can't sleep, do they just say they have insomnia or can you actually get a diagnosis of insomnia? Yes, you can get a diagnosis. So really the first thing that say the likes of myself or another sleep or insomnia specialist would do would be a comprehensive sleep evaluation. And that's where we go through a very detailed sleep history. And we go through lots of questions with the patient or the client to figure out do they answer yes to various sets of questions in terms of restless leg syndrome symptomatology and obstructive sleep apnea but there's lots of different symptoms that fall under each category so say for example for restless leg syndrome if the person was to answer yes to the question of do you tend to get a unpleasant or kind of tingling sensation in your legs that can only be relieved when you move your legs and if the person answers yes to that, then to me in sleep medicine, that would clinically be indicative of restless leg syndrome. And also if it gets worse in the evening time, it's not really particularly common during the daytime, but definitely as the evening goes on, that it does typically tend to get worse. 
periodic limb movement disorder is a little bit different in the sense that only actually happens while the person is asleep rather than actually being awake or in the evening time. So the kind of hallmark features of that would be, and this would be some of the questions we would ask in our sleep history would be, are there signs of your bed and bedding being very disturbed the next morning that your duvet is all moved around and things like that? So that would be one of the key questions there. And for chronic insomnia, the clinical definition of chronic insomnia is difficulty falling asleep, maintaining sleep and awakening too early on three or more nights a week for three months or longer. Okay, so that's the definition of insomnia. And the other thing that we look for in terms of making a diagnosis of insomnia is, are there also accompanying daytime symptoms? So that would be the likes of fatigue, concentration problems, memory issues, mood issues, general difficulty with quality of life, being able to function at work and things like that. So something that's a bit complicated, undoubtedly when it comes to those with MS is that those symptoms will inevitably be overlapping with those who have MS. So it's a complicated picture, I'm sure. It is. It's really tricky because people with MS and and others too, not just those with MS, but they don't get good sleep, which causes their symptoms to worsen, which causes Mm -hmm. poor sleep. You know, so it's this endless, what's coming first? Is it the sleep that's the issue or is it the symptoms? Would you suggest trying to decipher which is happening first? That's a great question. That's something that's such a very individual thing, dependent on the individual person, really. So say I would look to try to ascertain the timing of the symptom onset. I would look to see if the sleep issue started before the other issues or at the same time or afterwards. So that would kind of give some idea of what might be going on. But yeah, it really depends on the individual person and their experience. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's pretty true sure. for all things MS anyways. It's so different for each individual person. I'm sure, yeah, there must be so much variation. Yeah, I can imagine. And as you mentioned, chronic insomnia, when you said the definition, that's definitely what it sounds like most of my clients are suffering from. What are some of the tips that you have for someone suffering from insomnia? I have a lot of tips. (laughs) So I think I'm not sure where to start. One overall thing I would say is that if a person feels, you know, if what I have said just now in terms of those criteria, if that does resonate with the person, I would suggest contacting a sleep specialist or someone who is trained in insomnia treatment that could help them. So that's the first thing, because one bit of good news that I'd like to kind of flag up here is that there is actually really good evidence-based solutions for this. And that's really, when I say solutions, that's really under the umbrella of what's known as cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And that's really the number one treatment for chronic insomnia. There are some studies now showing that CBTI, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, has actually been proven in randomized controlled trials that it does actually show results and improvements 
in sleep in those who have MS. So it's really nice to see that there's a whole wider literature that really backs up all the evidence so far showing the huge impact the CBTI has on insomnia and sleep. This has also been proven to be effective in other conditions like chronic pain, cancer, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, but more recently, I do see that there is two nice studies, they're relatively small sample numbers, but very encouraging nonetheless, and quite recent, quite good studies. I think they're coming out of Cleveland and Dr. Michelle Drerup's group to yeah. show that CBTI does actually result in improvements in sleep quality, a reduction in insomnia severity, and really nicely, it also shows an improvement in the MS patients' symptoms of fatigue, depression, and anxiety. So so what I've always found an amazing thing about CBTI is that it doesn't just help the insomnia and the sleep, it also helps other co-occurring symptoms. So it often has shown in other studies that it does alleviate depression, anxiety in particular. And I could see in this MS study that it alleviates symptoms of fatigue as well, which I understand is very common in people with MS. Now that you're saying this, I was at the annual MS conference this past year, and I went to one of the lectures where they were talking about CBT. It wasn't specifically for insomnia, but in general, cognitive behavioral therapy and how much it can help with sleep. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I just jogged my memory. Can you explain for someone who has never heard of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, can you give us the gist of what it is? Sure. So yes, I'll talk about CBTI in particular. So essentially, it's all about addressing any behaviours or thoughts that negatively impact our sleep. So it's really like a multi-componential way of targeting all different kinds of sleep issues that a person might have. And so I almost feel in a way that CBTI almost shouldn't be called CBTI because I feel it's quite different in a way to standard CBT, whereas CBTI is very much purely to do with sleep and insomnia, if that makes sense. However, at the same time, it is to do with addressing those behaviours and cognitions. So that's what it has in common. But It includes lots of different components. It includes the likes of perhaps gradual compression of a person's time in bed, cognitive strategies, behavioural strategies, where we kind of try to help the person harness their own physiological circadian rhythm to help their sleep. So I'll talk in a little bit maybe about kind of availing of our light environment and how to change that to help our sleep and things like that. So that's another component of it. There's also an emphasis on evidence-based relaxation techniques that have been proven to help with insomnia. And we also do some myth busting as well about sleep, so sleep education. And that kind of links in with the cognitive side because A huge part of insomnia is really often anxiety about sleep. 
and that might resonate with some of your community. So it's that the anxiety it becomes such a vicious circle of worrying about sleep and that making sleep worse. So we try to really help the person to reframe their thoughts in terms of how to manage their anxiety about sleep in particular and kind of go through some good scientific data that proves actually, well, you don't necessarily need to have, say, for example, the eight hours of sleep that we're supposed to get according to, say, the media, for example. It's really more down to the individual individual person and what they need rather than I have to get exactly eight hours otherwise it's a disaster so a lot of people for example might be very anxious about that and that creates a lot of pressure on their sleep and that makes sleep more elusive for them so that's one example of one of the things that we cover in some of those components there Wow, that sounds so helpful for everyone. Like I don't struggle with sleep, but I still want all of that. <laughs> I would love to know relaxation strategies. And- <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's nice being applicable to all sorts of people, even to people who don't suffer from insomnia. So you briefly mentioned light and I have an alarm clock that I think it's called the wake up alarm clock. And the idea is that a light starts to come on, I think 20 minutes before the alarm actually goes off. I have that as well. (laughs) Yeah. So is that helpful? And if so, why, what is that doing? Yes. So essentially it is starting just very shortly before you wake up. So even though more than likely you're officially asleep at that moment in time, your eyes will still be able to take in the light that is coming from that light source from your alarm. So very gradually what that's doing is that that is sending a signal into your eye through the retina and down your visual pathway to an area of the brain that sends a circadian master clock really. Another fancy word for it is a suprachiasmatic nucleus. But what that does then is it switches off the production of melatonin or sleepy hormone. So once that gets switched off in the morning, that helps us to feel awake and more alert and it sets off the production of more alertful hormones like cortisol and things like that that start to kick in in the morning time. But really, you're completely right by having that light source in the morning because morning light can be viewed as a form of therapy. It's hugely important for setting, for entraining our circadian rhythm in a consistent way. And when I talk about that switching off of melatonin, the amazing thing that light does in the morning is that it almost acts as an egg timer. So when I talk about that pathway, it's kind of programming the release of melatonin then 12 hours later that night for when you want your melatonin to be released. So say if your alarm, your light is going off at say eight o'clock, tomorrow morning what that's doing then with this egg timer function that's going on in your circadian system you will then get that release of melatonin into your system that nice sleepy hormone that you want in the evening you will be getting that at 8 p.m later that day that wow i have to say getting light in the morning is hugely important for sleep i can't emphasize that enough it's really really important and it's nice in that there's a number of different ways of getting morning light so you can either use what you're using uh dr holy or you can have a cup of tea in the garden or if you can't get outside you can even sit by a window and i'm not sure how the weather conditions are where you are but even if the weather is bad even if it's a dark dreary 
January morning, there will still be enough light biologically that will send that signal through our eyes to the brain and set off what we want in terms of stopping our melatonin production in the morning and releasing it that night for when we want to go to sleep. Wow. So it sounds like at the very least, we should all immediately get to a window in the morning. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. And then, so because of the whole 12 hour thing that you just mentioned, where melatonin will start to kick in again, should we be waking up at the same time every day? Or does that play yes. a role? Exactly. Yes. That's another one of the tips I was going to talk about. And this is actually of all of the tips within or strategies within cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. The number one is actually to get up at the same time every single morning, no matter what, even if you've slept badly and even if it's the weekend. Oh, wow. So that's something that's, that's massively important. And this is something that obviously it can be quite challenging for a person to do, but it doesn't have to be forever. It's just until they start sleeping better again. But it is something that probably delivers the quickest turnaround in terms of the person's improvement in their sleep. It's really the quickest thing that will deliver the results that they want. Mm. So, and as we mentioned earlier, of course, everyone is different, but how long does it typically take? Would you expect that if someone wakes up at the same time every day, even weekends, regardless of how they slept for mm. two weeks, then it reset or is it a month? I think that particular aspect of CBTI with getting light in my, with my clients and patients, just with that alone, I think I would see improvements probably within about two weeks exactly yeah it can be that quick maybe even sooner actually maybe within a week just by that alone I'd also I think it'd be good to mention as well I think it's also important then to have the flip side so to then in the evening time to have much lower light in your environment so what you really want is actually that gradient differential between as much bright light that you can get as safely as possible in the morning, but then you want it to be as dark as possible in your space, wherever you are in your environment in the evening time. So with that, again, there's a number of different ways of doing that. One is to dim the lights, if at all possible, wherever you spend your evening. Another one is I have blue light blocking glasses. I actually use these myself and there's actually really good evidence showing that these really are effective in blocking blue light and UV light in the evening. So I know probably don't look my most attractive when I'm wearing them, but there is solid evidence backing up their impact on sleep and some really nice studies coming out about that. So, and then the other thing in terms of light in the evening, I'd say is our beloved mobile phones. I know this is something that's so incredibly hard hard for people. I know a lot of advice is out there to say, oh, switch off your mobile phone, leave it in another room. But I actually think that's an incredibly hard thing to do for a lot of us. And especially if we have caregiving responsibilities or children or elderly parents or anything like that. So that's where I think something like blue light blocking glasses or actually modifying your phone so it's not kind of shining a big beam of light into your eyes in the evening time. So things like you can dial down the, the screen intensity, the light intensity of your phone, depending on whether it's an Android or an iPhone. There's, it's usually that's quite straightforward to do. 
I would also say beyond the light issue here in terms of phones, one thing I would say is, and I'm sure this won't be a surprise if it's at all possible to, I think, just be mindful of the content that you're consuming on your phone. So rather than doom scrolling on Twitter and things like that, you know, to look at something more more relaxing, like, you know, dresses on some shopping website or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, just to try to avoid really stressful, anxiety-inducing content. So just to be mindful of that in addition to the, the light issue. Right. Oh, my gosh. Those are such great tips. So cognitive behavioral therapy, specifically for insomnia, yes. setting your alarm at the same time every day, yes. making sure you get light in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Nighttime routine with less light. Oh, wow. Those are so awesome. Thank you so much (laughs) for sharing those. (laughs) If someone is listening right now and maybe they're really struggling and they just want to work with a professional, how can someone learn more from you or find more about your services? Sure. So I have a website that's called the hyphen sleep hyphen space.com it might be possibly in your show notes so yeah the sleep space.com and also on instagram as well so yeah i think through my website i have a get in touch form where if anyone has any questions for me please do feel free to get in touch um i can also offer sessions over zoom so even if someone is in the states or something like that if anyone wants help i can still help from here from uh from the uk Awesome. That's really good to know because at least to my knowledge, there are not many CBT certified therapists that exist. So it's the same with MS specialized physical therapists. There's not many of us. So oftentimes that means we're inaccessible for a lot of people. So that's good to know you can do virtual consults. Yeah, it is a pity that there is very limited number of providers of CBTI, I think both in the UK and in the US. So, but hopefully that will change over time because it's something that's so incredibly beneficial to so many people and the data really from those studies they really are quite staggering and my previous career was as a scientist so I was always evaluating data all the time so when I became trained in this I became so struck by how strong and how powerful the effects were and then when I actually could see the transformations in my clients and patients it's been really amazing. Yeah, that must be so rewarding. I just, I know how many people struggle with this. And so if you can manage it a little bit easier, that can be life-changing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I can always see it in people's faces as the weeks go by. So the length of CBTI can vary depending on the provider, but it's typically about a five to six week course. Uh, So it's usually about an hour per week. Oh, good to know. All right. And yes, I will put all of those links. I'll put the Instagram and the website in the show notes. So if anyone is listening and driving, please don't look now, but later you will be able to refer back to those. Dr. Michelle, thank you so much for sharing all of those with us. I know that this can be a really stressful area for a lot of people. And I think that just hearing these tips will be very helpful. Sure. And the other thing I'd just like to say, if anyone is suffering with insomnia, I'd uh, a final tip is I'd say just to be as kind to yourself as possible when you're having insomnia because it's so difficult to experience that and to know that there is help out there for it. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. 
If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.